Today, we will be discussing the challenges of managing antipsychotic medications in children and adolescents. We will explore various strategies that aim to balance symptom relief with potential side effects, while also guiding towards personalized and safer treatment options. Join us in discovering the art of precision in pediatric mental health care. Welcome to the Carlat Psychiatry Podcast. This is another special episode from the Child Psychiatry Team. I'm Dr. Josh Fader, the Editor-in-Chief of the Carlat Child Psychiatry Report and co-author of the Child Medication Factbook for Psychiatric Practice, Second Edition, 2023, and also the book, Prescribing Psychotropics. And I'm Mara Gufferman, a licensed clinical social worker in Southern California with a private practice and an avid reader of the Carlat Psychiatry Reports. Today, we are looking at tapering antipsychotics as influenced by Dr. Sharmi Patel Rayo's article in our Carlet Child Psychiatry Report, October, November, December issue. So, diving in, let's set the stage for today's talk. Dr. Fader, could you give us some context about how antipsychotic meds are being used with kids and teens these days? Certainly, here's the scoop. Around 1% of kids between 7 and 12, and about one5 percent of teens aged 13 to 18 in the U.S. are on antipsychotic medications. Some get these medications for FDA-approved situations like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or dealing with irritability linked to autism. But here's the kicker. Roughly 65% of the time, these medications are used off-label, meaning they're given for reasons like tackling aggression, agitation, or behaviors in ADHD, things that are not officially greenlit. And now, here's the catch. There's not a lot of data about how effective these medications are when used for a long stretch in children and adolescents. What we do know from studies on humans and animals is that antipsychotics can mess with brain tissue and bring on a bunch of potentially problematic neurologic and metabolic side effects. And get this, at high doses, these medications have been linked to higher mortality rates in kids and teens. So with the inspiration of Dr. Patel Rao's article, today we can dive into how long it's acceptable to use these medications and how to safely dial things down or even stop them altogether. I agree that it's a lot of information to process. When it comes to using antipsychotics in children and adolescents, there are important factors to consider. It's crucial to carefully assess the potential benefits versus the risks and to evaluate the duration and dosage of these medications. Safety should always be a priority, especially when dealing with developing brains and bodies. The biggest challenge is finding a balance between managing symptoms and minimizing any possible side effects. Dr. Fader, what are your thoughts? on this issue, and do antipsychotics work in this context? Let's start by talking about non-pharmacologic type approaches. In our 2023 book, Child Medication Factbook for Psychiatric Practice, the second edition, we put in an algorithm, for instance, for irritability and autism. And I know we've done a podcast on this, but as a reminder, we start with non-pharm. We try to think about 
what's bothering the person, sensory stuff, motor planning things, communication kinds of things. And then even after that, we start thinking about, okay, we've addressed those things. What about co-occurring conditions like depression and anxiety disorders or sleep problems, things like that? And even then, when we start to use potions, we think supplements first if we can, right? Can you mm -hmm. use melatonin and get away with that for sleep? Or even melatonin during the day for irritability sometimes works. And from there, then we go to milder medications first. So while the FDA for autism anyway would say, you know, aripiprazole or risperidone for irritability, that's like step 13. And even then, when we get to antipsychotics, we're talking about using maybe zeprazidone or lorazidone, since they're less metabolically problematic, and or if we have to use aripiprazole or risperidone, giving it with metformin. So we're really putting these antipsychotics at the bottom of the pile whenever we can in any of these situations. So as Dr. Rao notes, Patel Rao, antipsychotics are often used as a quick solution to prevent hospitalization. And, and we understand that. It does often make a really big difference, like making it easier for students to make progress in school or reduce aggression or self-harm. I mean, it's not that these medicines don't work, but there isn't enough evidence to support their effectiveness in treating things like severe ADHD or oppositional behavior. There's that one study by Blader that we've talked about where risperidone or Depakote might help aggression in ADHD, but what does he say to do first? Well, optimize the stimulants first, and about 60 to 80% of the time, you won't have to go to valproate or risperidone. Even in situations where the FDA has approved their use, such as in calming irritability in autistic kids, it's important to carefully consider whether the patient meets the criteria, such as showing serious aggression, self-harm, or significant mood swings. Sometimes it may be more beneficial to address other issues, such as, like I said, the sensory problems of co-occurring conditions with therapy, milder medications, or supplements, like we said. And whenever you do use uh, antipsychotics, please always include in the treatment plan a plan for how long you're thinking you'll use the medication and when you will be able to reduce and maybe even discontinue it. You have also said over the years to start slow and go low as you begin to introduce these medications. That's true. And when we're reducing them, we'll talk a little bit about this later on, taking it very slowly going off them mm -hmm. as well, being very careful. Yes, that's an important point to consider for clinicians. Antipsychotics have gotten the green light from the FDA for a short haul, six months for kids. But when we look at the longest stretch, there's not a ton of research on how these meds play out in the long run in this population. Now we talk about antipsychotics, there's a whole list of concerns. There's weight gain, diabetes, wonky lipids, feeling super sleepy, heart rhythm consequences like prolonged QT interviews, hormone effects with prolactin, atypical body movements, even neuroleptic malignant syndrome. Agreed. To reiterate, when these meds are on the table for a child's treatment plan, the duration of how long they're on it is really important, really super important to think through. This brings us again to the question of how to go about the antipsychotic trial. I think Dr. Patel Rao says it best, start with the end in mind. So when starting an antipsychotic, it's vital to have a clear understanding of the journey from start to finish. 
discuss with patients and families about the duration of treatment and what to expect. It's essential that they understand how intense the symptoms are, which is why we're using these, the natural progression of the condition, which can have its ups and downs. We could talk about regression towards the mean. If you have a symptom and it's bad, we usually do something to try to make it better. But sometimes it naturally would have gotten better anyway. So you have to think about whether this is just the undulation of the natural uh, condition itself. We also have to think about the age of the patient and, of course, other concurrent treatments like therapy. Absolutely. I also want to mention that there is no fixed duration for antipsychotic treatment for non-psychotic cases. Therefore, it is crucial to observe how often and how strongly the specific uh, symptoms appear. Then, work with the patient and their family to determine how much improvement and how long of a good streak would indicate a reduction or cessation of medication. Generally, shorter treatment duration is preferable for most children and adolescents with various conditions. So specifically, Dr. Fader, are you recommending after initial prescription of medication, follow up within two weeks? What would be um, a guideline for that? Well, generally speaking, I like when I start a new medicine, a great example of this we've talked about before is antidepressants. If you can follow up in one to two weeks, mm-hmm. that's kind of where you want to be tracking, even though it may take several weeks to respond. But if it's severe, you're going to want to go up sooner. And the same could be true for antipsychotic medications. You want to be tracking it along pretty carefully. So every week or two, if you can, is the way to do it. Sometimes that's a little bit by phone and, uh, or on the internet in these days of increased telehealth. You know, once we're having severe symptoms stabilized, and maybe even the person's happy, that's when you know that you want to be thinking about whether you can reduce. And this is not an easy thing to do. It can be quite challenging. And it's important to be chatting with a patient and their family during every appointment to talk about how things are going with the treatment. I mean, you would think we would do that anyway, but it's amazing. How often I'll talk to people and they'll say, yeah, we kept them on the patient, you know, we kept them on the treatment. They say they're fine, but they didn't really go into the specific problems for which you were giving the medication in the first place. And so there are some important things to cover, like how have the presenting symptoms improved and have there been any side effects that are causing concern like weight gain, elevated cholesterol, feeling sleepy or involuntary movements? Is the patient taking the medication? and following monitoring instructions as directed. Does the patient or their family have any interest in lowering the dose of the medication gradually? They usually do, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's so much relief that they just want to stay with what they've got. Checking in on these topics on a regular basis can help make sure that the patient's getting the best possible care and that any issues are taken care of promptly. Yes, navigating the tapering process for antipsychotics can be quite the puzzle. It's a smart move to touch base with the patient and the family every time you meet up to see how the treatment is playing out. You also mentioned how challenging this can be, and sometimes easing off the meds isn't doable for people dealing with severe psychotic conditions or those who have tried and failed at tapering before. Clinicians should carefully record why you are choosing to use antipsychotics as a course of treatment and watch out for any abnormal metabolic or movement-related side effects. 
Stepping back from the medications can be like walking a tightrope, especially for folks facing severe psychotic conditions or those who've had a tough time tapering before. It's important to be thorough in tracking these reasons and side effects to ensure the best care for the patient and help address any issues that arise along the way. I think it's also important to add that it's good practice to review the decision of prescribing antipsychotic medications when you're treating patients who've been taking it under the observation of another provider. If someone has been on these medications for a long time, we recommend you have a discussion at least every six months about this. This will help determine whether continuing the medication is still the right choice based on its effectiveness and any possible side effects. So this could apply to me if I'm doing a consult and somebody else is prescribing, to you if you're doing therapy and somebody mm -hmm. else is prescribing, or even if we're taking on, if I'm taking on someone in care now under my prescribing as opposed to the previous prescriber. And you can initiate this conversation just by asking patients and families their opinions about the benefits and drawbacks of the medication. If you're dealing with patients who've been taking antipsychotic medications, we advise that you reevaluate the decision during this assessment. Moreover, if someone has been taking these medications for extended periods, talk about tapering at least every six months. And maybe when you're doing that at least every six month AIMS check, the abnormal involuntary movement scales that you should be doing, that's also copied in our psychiatric child medication factbook. This will help you decide whether continuing the medication is still a viable option based on its effectiveness and any side effects that may be present. You can initiate the conversation by asking the patient and their family just the pros and cons of the medication. Such a good point. So how should providers go about tapering antipsychotics? As Dr. Patel Rao notes, scaling back on meds doesn't always mean saying goodbye to them altogether. Mm -hmm. Even making small cuts can sometimes help dodge those pesky side effects like high cholesterol or sneaky weight gain. Plus, it might lower the chance of neurologic side effects like tardive dyskinesia. So here's some things to consider. Wait until the patient is stable and other co-occurring conditions are improved. Keep it simple. When things are too tangled up with other conditions, you're not going to really be able to resolve this. You're not going to be able to reduce. And you got to hang tight for three to six months of smooth sailing without any mm -hmm. new big stressors. I mean, there's always going to be a stressor. School started, something like that. But, you know, there are other big things that might happen, like an entirely different treatment plan or, you know, a change in the family structure, like with a divorce, something like that. You want to not have a lot of that going on if you can. Get your support team ready, possibly leaning on therapy or school-based services so that that's kind of all set and in place. Mm -hmm. And then when you start reducing, take it very, very slowly. I wouldn't do any more than 25% of the dosage per month. And I often go a lot slower. If somebody's on like, I don't know, 7.5 milligrams of aripiprazole, I'm cutting up pills and going down by half a milligram or a milligram a month, just taking it slowly. You said a, a month. A month. Okay. Right? So for their daily dose. Yeah. Keep appointments rolling to keep an eye on those target symptoms and how everybody's holding up, just like we were talking about earlier. Additionally, clinicians should take the time to consider changing medications if the first antipsychotic or a certain type of medication is not providing reasonable solutions. It is possible to switch the medications outside of antipsychotics or within the antipsychotic family. 
If a patient needs to stay on antipsychotics but is experiencing issues, consider shifting to other antipsychotics that might not have as many side effects. This move can also be a good call if previous attempts with antipsychotics have not been successful or if the patient is dealing with severe symptoms such as a psychosis or mania after trying other medications. Yeah, so this is a good time to just sort of think about this. You and I have shared so many patients over the years, some of whom we've never been able to really reduce. And as the kids grow, we've had to increase their dosages. Now, most have not had severe problems with tardive dyskinesia, but we've had had kids with catatonia, and we have a a podcast on that as well that uh, listeners might want to check out. But antipsychotics can make catatonia worse, and it's often under recognized. We've had that. We've had a lot of people who they were skinny little kids and we've tried our best to prevent weight gain. And some of them, they still gained quite a bit of weight. And then the question is, how many of them have we been able to reduce and stop antipsychotics? More than what you would have thought, but because we have a lot of intentionality in what we do. And I'll tell you, it's the later teens and early 20s when you've got that increased development of the prefrontal cortex, I think that seems to be the time when a lot of people are able to reduce and stop medications, and in particular, these medicines that we're using essentially to stabilize mood. You know, also as a mental health clinician, I think having a discussion about self-medication in today's world, where we're talking about recreational drugs and alcohol, should be part of a clinician's discussion. Yeah, and we should we should take that up in another podcast. Mm-hmm. We'll do that. Well, listen, during our discussion, we've talked about how antipsychotic medications can be highly beneficial. And we don't want you to go away thinking not to use them. They save lives. Mm-hmm. However, their usage should be limited to necessary situations, and medical professionals need to closely monitor their use through ongoing conversations. This is particularly important to minimize any potential side effects and to discuss the appropriate duration of treatment for each individual case. So in summary, while antipsychotics can be valuable in treating certain conditions, we need to exercise caution and careful consideration when deciding to use them. For a more comprehensive take on this topic, please go and check out Dr. Patel Rao's article on our website. The newsletter, Clinical Update, is available for subscribers to read in the Carlat Child Psychiatry Report. Hopefully, people will check it out. Subscribers get printed issues in the mail and email notifications when new issues are available on the website. Subscriptions also come with full access to all the articles on the website and CME credits. And everything from Carlet Publishing is independently researched and produced. There's no funding from the pharmaceutical industry. Yes, the newsletters and books we produce depend entirely on reader support. There are no ads, and our authors don't receive industry funding. This helps us to bring you unbiased information that you can trust. As always, thanks for listening, and have a great day. 